passage with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We've been working through Colossians now for the last several weeks. Um, this is a letter um, written from the Apostle Paul to a church that he did not plant and that he has not visited. Um, he only knows them uh, through an intermediary, Epaphras. Um, he's hoping to, to visit and to join them at some point. He's currently in prison. Um, the church in, in Colossae is a young church, less than 10 years old. Um, it's, um, for the most part, a pretty healthy church, and things are going well. But because they live on a, a pretty expansive like road system, it's, although it's not an impressive town, it has a lot of travelers through it. And so a lot of false teaching has um, emerged in their area. Um, they're constantly hearing new things. And so Paul is looking to kind of pastorally care for them to address some of these things and how they should handle both false teaching and continuing to walk um, in a way that would be pleasing to Jesus. Um, this morning as we begin, um, I, I want you to just kind of think about when you hear the word religion, right? When you think about uh, church, right? Like what are some of the words that come to mind? And I know that's going to be often really impacted by the church that you grew up in, um, maybe even more so than the church you're in now, right? Like that you have some of those memories from parents or grandparents that really kind of set those ideas in mind. But I think if we, if we polled most of America, right, some of the words that they would use would not be positive, right? They would, they would say it's dull, right? It's, it's sour. Um, it's a list of do's and don'ts. Um, it's, it's, it's looking to kill my good time. Um, and maybe even an attitude um, that we hear in country music sometimes of like, you know, if, I, if I'm not going to heaven, I'll have a party in hell, right? Like just kind of that idea of like religion is, is this, and I'm, I'm not a part of that. And yet, in, in verse, one, or verse, sorry, verse 10 of chapter 1, that we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul writes to the church, and he, he says, listen, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Right? So we have this language of enjoyment and pleasure and pleasing. Right? And yet, often when people think of religion, right, they think sour. Right? They think drudgery. And so what, how is it that we can go from having something that is supposed to be life-giving to this element of, of drudgery that's not the way it's supposed to be? And so Paul's going to address some of that this morning. So let's pick up in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. He writes this, "...put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator." Now listen, I can imagine you hear that passage read and you're like, that sounds extraordinarily religious, right? Like you literally read a list of do's and don'ts, right? Like that there's, there's this tendency to see this, and if we look at this outside of the, the context of, of the whole letter to the church at Colossae, it would feel very religious. And yet remember how chapter 2 ended. Look up at verse 23. As, as Paul was comparing and contrasting the false teachers to the hope in the gospel, he says this in verse 23. Um, 
that they have an indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, for they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul has already told us, like, I, he knows that simply kind of beating our bodies into submission, right? being really religious, being really legalistic and having a lot of rules can look really godly and moral to the world, but it actually is powerless. It only has an appearance of wisdom. It has a whiff of something, but it is mimicking the power of God. It's not actually transforming anything or anyone. And so he's told us this, that, hey, that's not what I'm shooting for. And so now here when he begins to say some do's and don'ts and put to death this language that we have to say, okay, Paul, why is it that you could say that self-made religion is worthless, and yet you're going to ask us to do some things here? How's it different? Like That's really the question we want to ask this morning, is how is what Paul is asking us to do different from what he is accusing the false teachers of, and it being powerless in verse 23? Really where we're going to start um, is this, is that Paul's going to remind us this morning, because he's writing to the church, who they once were. Look at verse 6 and 7. He's listed sins in verse 5, and then it says in verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, again referring to the list of sins in verse 5, you too once walked when you were living in them. So what he's telling them, he's like, hey church, those of you who trust Jesus, like be reminded, this was you too. Like you too once walked in um, abject, like just rebellion to God, in sin, in ways that were not pleasing to Him, you were in the domain of darkness, not in the kingdom of light. Right? And, and so the reason chapters 1 and chapter 2 have just held Jesus up, and He's held Him up, He said, look at Him again, lift your chin, see the, the, the bigness, the breadth, the depth, the beauty of Him, the preeminence, is because... Right? We still live in a world that is marred by sin, that is affected by sin. And so he's reminding them, this was your story too. And because of sin, wrath is coming. Right? Like God is holy. And I think sometimes if we get into more of a, a religious, like how do people think of religion ideal, they assume that God is sitting up there looking, going, waiting for someone to screw up so I can zap them. Right? It's where we get the lightning bolt idea. That God is just looking to get you. That He's looking for you to screw up so that He can take something you love from you. Right? And, he, and even though we can, we can snicker at that, right? Because we've seen it made into like a comedy trope, right? right? There's a part of us that's been affected by it. That we kind of live in light of, man, if, if, is God going to get me? Right? Like, I don't, I don't deserve much, so is He going to get me? And so He's reminding them, right? Have grace for others because this was you too. You're not so far removed from this. You're avoiding the wrath of God now because of Jesus, but this was once you. It is past tense, though, because of the work of Jesus. Like that Jesus enters the world under the law, born of a woman, as Paul says in Galatians 4.4, right? in order to redeem, to rescue a people for His possession, right? to be in right relationship with God. And so He lives the life we are not living it, he doesn't have to say about Jesus. Jesus once too also walked this way. No, it was us that walked that way. Jesus comes in and walks the way we were intended to, the way we were created for, the way we were meant to do. And then he goes to the cross, right? 
And we've seen in chapter 2 the brutal language of that Jesus' um, crucifixion was like circumcision, right? That it was this bloody, painful, uncomfortable to talk about act, right? That in it, it was the stripping off of our flesh, right? Because he was substituted in our place. And so we don't just avoid pain and wrath. We get then Jesus' holiness, perfection placed on us. And when Jesus, when God looks at us, He sees Jesus covering us and we are pleasing to Him. It's why we can walk in a manner pleasing to God. It's not based on our merit or our effort. It's based on Jesus' perfect, faithful, obedient life, death, and resurrection where His enemies were defeated. Our enemies were defeated. And so He is compared and contrasted. Right? Remember that beautiful imagery in chapter 1 where He says, He has taken us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. Right? He's like, this is who you once were, and He is now taking you from that and puts you in the kingdom of the sun. We're supposed to feel the significance and the weight and the bigness of that, that we are not who we once were. But we cannot forget that that's who we once were. Right? Because it allows us to have mercy and understanding for those who are still there. He transferred us. And because that happened, right, we have to get the order right. That Jesus, when we have brought nothing to the table, demonstrated His love for us while we were at our worst, while we were sinners. He is not going, hey, they're trying real hard. Let's go help them out. We were out and out rebels, hating God, opposed to Him when He restored us. When He came and lived and died and was resurrected on our behalf. And if we get the order wrong, we create religion. Right? If we begin to say, the things that Paul is asking us to do, the things that the false teachers, are, false teachers were asking them to do, if we begin to do that, believing that that somehow is waving a giant flag of merit to gain God's attention so that He finally says, fine, you've done enough, come on in. Right? That leads to pride. It leads to hypocrisy. It leads to arrogance. And it's powerless. But if we get first and foremost that we have been rescued by the mighty, merciful, and gracious hand of God, that we have been made sons and daughters of the King, then then there are some things that we need to walk in to live a manner that is worthy and pleasing to Jesus. We have to have the order right so that we don't create powerless religion. Instead, we have good news. And the good news is you were damned with no hope until Jesus rescued you. And it's, you don't keep it. It's not your strong and mighty hand that holds on to Jesus. It's His strong and mighty hand that keeps you secure. That He is the faithful one, even when we're not. So because of this, because of this, we now look at verse 5. He says, So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, Covenous, which is idolatry. Go to verse 8. And now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. Right? He, he starts to tell the church, here are some things I want you to do because of what God has done. Right? Because you're His. Because you're His, now thus do. So why these? Like, why these sins? Like, he could have listed, right, the rest of Scripture, he could have just listed sins here. But look at the list. 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, these are things that are deep within us. Right? That, we, that can feel like they are irresistible. That feel like we are controlled by them. That we are enslaved to them. That we're owned by them. The second list are almost all to do with the mouth. Right? Uh, with anger and malice. With lying. With slander. Obscene talk. In James, in chapter 3, verse 8 of James, he says, the tongue is untamable. Right? Like, Sometimes we're just saying stuff, and we're like, man, I shouldn't be saying that. And we're trying to pull the words back in. So he references our tongue, which is untamable, and our heart, right, which is where life springs forth or death springs forth. And he says both of these lists are revealing who we are on the inside. And so whether you have ever shown anger or malice, you have felt anger or malice. Whether you have ever like, lived out impurity, you have been impure. Right, like he's, he's getting to the heart of who we are. And so this morning, some of you would say you're owned by some of these sins. Maybe one of them, maybe many of them. Or you know someone who right now feels like they are owned and enslaved to these sins. Right, that they just cannot get away from it. And they have tried the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, which is of no value in stopping the indulgence. You have tried that over and over and over and over again to no effect. So he, we begin to feel helpless. And yet, do you notice the two images that he gives us? In, in the first list, he says, I want you to put to death, right? Like this idea of like sacrifice of death, very graphic imagery. With the second list, he says, I want you to put off, which is the idea of like stripping away clothing, taking something off. Um, the way the early church actually used to um, basically live out this passage in baptism is you would show up to your baptism wearing your typical clothes right? that you would have always been seen in, and then you would strip them away. You would be baptized, and as you come out, they would have like bright, brilliant white clothing for you to put on. Right? Like they were showing the symbol of what was going on in baptism was the old you is gone and you are putting something off and the new you is here and you are putting something on and it's Jesus. It's not your merit. It's not your effort. It's not your... It's Jesus. Like that you're transformed and changed because of Jesus and so you are symbolizing that to a watching church and a watching world. And so we currently live in a world that likes to say, my truth and your truth, right? We have a lot of, it's just who I am, um, honestly, nonsense in the world. Where it's like, you don't get to tell me what, I, what is my truth. It's mine. And I won't judge you for your truth. Right? We're all going to just kind of do our own thing. And yet Paul here is saying, there is very clearly a truth. And there is an image that we are supposed to be following. And it's Jesus. Look at verse 10. So you've put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's saying the image that we are following is the image of God. It is not the image of you. It is not your self-actualization. Right? It's not you doing the best of you for your life. It is you looking like Jesus because He has redeemed and rescued you. 
There is a standard, and it's Jesus. And right this morning, that can be offensive, and that cannot sound like good news, but what beautiful news is it? It's hopeful that we do not have to be enslaved by our hearts and our tongues and our passions and our desires that feel like we're not in control of them, they're in control of us. And he's saying that doesn't have to be the case. There is hope and there is joy and there is peace and there is good news that Jesus has crucified the flesh and is allowing us now to walk in the image of Him. Right? Empowered by Him for His glory, but for our good. And so we, any action, church, that you have as a believer has to be rooted and based on truth. And so Jesus has given us the truth that He has done the work to now walk in it, walk in the good news. When I was uh, maybe seven, roughly seven, uh, it was the 4th of July, and was on my grandfather's ranch in Oklahoma, hanging out, people were shooting fireworks off, and I became an unwitting um, recipient of a firecracker to the chest. And it I had one of those, remember those mesh uh, tank tops? Uh, probably the only time in my life I ever had one on. Only time in my life I should have had one on, right? And it, it, they like to melt. And so as that heat found my body, and it, the firework was one of those jumping jacks, was inside my shirt, and it's like zipping around, burning me, melting my shirt. Um, all I could ha- the only thought I had in that moment besides like screaming was I got to get that shirt off. Like there's something in me that is putting me to death, and I'm going to remove it. Um, it won that battle, okay? But in that moment, right, all I'm thinking is I see the reality of the situation, and what I don't want is this, and I'm taking it off. Some of you have done it for, for far less, right? A spider or a bug has right, crawled in your shirt collar, and like all of a sudden public nudity isn't an issue for you anymore, right? And you're just like, stuff is coming off because this thing has created fear in me, and it is worse than what you think of me in this moment, right? Um, I've had, some of you have shared stories like that, I, so I know it's true. Um, in that moment, right, we see the reality of what's going on, and we want, we want change. It is a gift from God when He opens your eyes to see your sin. Like it feels like, like painful, and it can be a severe mercy. But when you begin to see the reality of where your trajectory is, when you begin to see the reality of the pain that you've inflicted to your own life and to the life of others, when you begin to see that you have offended a holy God, it is a grace. Because in that, then, you quickly hear Jesus say, but my grace is sufficient. My life is sufficient. My death is sufficient. My resurrection is proof that what I said is true. And we find a good shepherd, one who loves us and will transform us and will take out a cold and stony heart of sin, as Ezekiel says, and replace it with one that is marked by the Word of God. That, that's what, that is the good news and the hope. And when we see that reality, then we say, Jesus isn't drudgery. Jesus isn't a list of don'ts. Jesus is life. And I want to eat and feast with Him. It's better. I want to enjoy Him. I want to have Him. And so I can remember the difference as a child and, and 
feeling like I've got to do all the things the Bible tells me to do and failing miserably often and going, I'm not a very good Christian. And then waking up to say, oh man, Jesus is really good. I want more of Him. And all of a sudden, the fruit of my life beginning to look like the one that I was following. Right? That's the difference here in religion and Jesus. Is that He empowers us and He transforms us and He changes us as we pursue and love and enjoy, and enjoy Him. And so a few kind of practical um, action steps as we end this morning. The first is this. Pursue Jesus. Like, run, run after the one that you want more of. And if you don't want more of Him, therein lies the problem. Like, th- th- therein lies, why is it powerless in your life? Why are you dour? Right? Like, why is there drudgery? It's because Jesus is life. And you have substituted some lesser thing for Him. So know Him. Find Him in His Word. As you find Him in the Word, you're going to find the promises of God. You're going to find the character of God. You're going to be connected to a living King. Jesus is not merely an idea written down in a book. He's alive. He has defeated the grave. He's defeated sin. He's alive and He hears your songs and your prayers and the cries of your heart this morning. Like He intercedes on your behalf. He is alive. And He has left His Spirit right, to mark us, to encourage us, to speak to us. So pursue Him, more of Him, so that you will not be ignorant to what it looks like to be walking in a pleasing manner, manner to God, to what Jesus would look like. That we want to be a Spirit-empowered people. Look again at verse 10. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Listen, church, we live in a strange in-between. The truth of Scripture is that we are already right seated in the heavenly places. Like that is our uh, that's our identity, right? Like that's our future. And yet, right now, we live in a world that is marred and affected by sin. And so, we are in an in-between. That what Jesus has done is right and true. And there will be a day where our faith will be made sight. And right now, we still have the presence of sin around us to pollute us, to cloud us, to affect us. And yet, what Jesus has said is true. And so he tells us here in verse 10, put on the new self, right? Like that's a, it's a one-time thing, but it will be renewed in the knowledge, right? After the image of the Creator, that God is also empowering your growth. He's continually renewing you as He lifts your chin to see more of Him, to pursue Him, to know Him, to enjoy Him. Right? We do not drift into holiness. Right? It's kind of the idea of Hebrews. This is not a passive thing where we say, let go and let God. Like We actively pursue God right? and trust that because He's alive, He's at work in us, and He is renewing us and empowering us. The third thing is this. It's not just that we want to pursue Jesus. Not only are we Spirit-empowered, we want to confess. Right? He lists two sets of sins. Right? When we confess our sin to God, what we are doing is we're agreeing, hey, what I thought, what I said, what I did, what I didn't do, displeases you. It's not according to what you would have for me, and it was wrong. It shows that I'm, I still have a desire to rebel against you some. Right? It's an agreement with God about what we should have done or not done. 
But church, would we also find ourselves confessing our sin one to another? Listen, if we are religious people, you aren't going to confess anything. Because in confession, you're going to find pride and arrogance and people looking down their nose at you and hypocrisy. But if we are a grace-filled place that is enjoying Jesus, confession is freedom. Because in it, we are being reminded, yes, me too. I too once walked in the manner of this world that was displeasing to God, falling the prince of the power of the air. In the right, I was a part of the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, me too. And even if the sin, it wasn't your sin per se, you have done things that have rebelled against God, that have warred against God, that have made you deserving of the coming wrath. That is no longer my story. And brother or sister, it no longer has to be your story because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Look at the grace available. Pride isn't necessary, so we can confess it. We need one another. Even Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 15, verse 18. He just reminds us of the significance of what's in our hearts. He says, For what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So we confess, hey, this has put me at war with God, and yet by the grace of God, this isn't my identity anymore. It no longer owns me. It no longer enslaves me, and I want no more of it. Church, we have to be a place where we can confess and where people can confess to us and it be safe because grace abounds. The fourth thing is this, is that we trust God as provider. You'll notice at the end of the first list in chapter 5, he, he lists mostly kind of sexual sin, but then he says, and covetedness, which is idolatry. Idolatry and covetedness is, is saying, I'm no longer content in this. I need something else. Right? I'm lacking something that I want, and it's failing to trust God as the provider of good. So if you feel like you need more money, right? more power, more prestige, more fame, more sex, right? whatever word right, you want to throw in there, that you like, I need more, I'm coveting it, I need more of it, I'm not content, and I don't trust God will provide it. Right? Like you are beginning then to put yourself on the throne. And it's idolatry. You would not, you're not building an idol of yourself, but you are worshiping yourself or whatever sin that is you've placed there as God over God. And so he's reminding them of this that ultimately it is a lack of trust in God as a good and faithful provider. The fifth thing, you cannot kill your sin, you cannot take it off, you cannot put it to death if you're not enjoying Jesus. Right? Like It's not just that we remove things from our life, it's that we're replacing them with Jesus, that He is enough, that He is sufficient. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, listen, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 1 says that the gospel will continue to bear fruit. The fruit will increase. Right? And so our motivation for this is that our sin had an effect on Jesus. It, it caused Him to be crucified. Right? Like, I, I don't like that. I don't want that because I love Him. It, has, it had an effect. It took a, a payment. 
But I also want to look like Him. I want to please Him. I want to walk in a manner that honors Him because He's mine and He's made me His. We can celebrate that the wrath of God that is coming is no longer upon our heads because of Him. And so as we find ourselves enjoying and sitting and soaking and reflecting and choosing and wanting Jesus, we will find the things of this world will begin to fade away. And we'll begin to lose their hold on us because we will have the better thing. It is taking the lesser and gaining the better. Right? We see this with our children, right? Like that they're they can have something they will not let go of until you offer them something better, and then that thing is getting tossed, right? Like it can be breakable and they're like, Well, I'll give it to me, right? Like Jesus is the better. He's the better. So let our hands come off of the lesser. And then the last last thought and we'll be done this morning. Church, would you be encouraged by this this morning? What once would have been impossible for us because we were dead in our sins, we were part of the domain of darkness, is now natural. It's now natural because we are filled with the Spirit of God, having been empowered by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can say no to sin. You were once enslaved, you are now no longer enslaved. What is, was once impossible is now natural. And so ultimately what Paul is saying here, if you want to summarize this whole sermon into one sentence, become what you are. Become what you are. If this morning you are a son or a daughter of the king trusting in him, he's saying to walk in that. Be that. He's done it, so now do it. Right? Become who you are. God does not ask us or demand this of us without empowering us. He has given us His Spirit. He is at work in you this morning. He will complete the good work that He started. And so our role, our task this morning as we pursue Jesus is to cooperate, right? To make easy, right? The work that He's already doing in us. To enjoy and agree, this is a good thing and I want more of it, right? It it expediates it. And that we are patient then with 2 Corinthians 3.18 that God is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. It's a process. So as you um, think about this morning, getting your kids ready, or you remember those days, right, where you're wrestling a little gator, right, trying to get pants on somebody or shoes on someone as they twist and flop and run, right, how much easier is it when you're like, cooperate? It goes from being like a 12-minute job that makes me want to like fight you, right, to a 30-second job where we're, we both get up and like we're happy. Jesus is saying, cooperate with me. I am transforming you. So take off, put to death, and walk in a manner that pleases And we get to do it together. Let's pray. Father, would we be marked as a people who put to death our former way of life? As a people who take off a clothing that marks our former way of life. That we would embrace and enjoy and savor You. Lord, that You know us and You see us and You love us and You pursue us and You pray for us and You understand us and You are transforming us. God, would we taste and see that You are good and want only to reflect Your glory and Your image to the watching world. 
God, that it would not be said of us that they are a sour, dull religious people. They are spirit-empowered, life-giving, joyous people because they have seen and tasted the goodness of God and they have good news to offer. God, do what only you can do among us for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name.